Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Worlds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. I am Alex, and with me is my co-host, whose name is... Alaric Stephen. Hello. Hello. We're here to talk about maths and things, puzzles, numbers, games, etc. Um, each episode, we'll bring a couple of puzzles from our own life that we've been thinking about, and uh, a couple that we've sort of put on the back burner that we want to talk about as well. We're never really going to solve anything. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We just want to think about them, because thinking is fun. Do you want to kick off? Do you want to have the first problem? Yes, so let's kick off with something that we're all familiar with, something from our childhood, perhaps. Um, It's a game called Humbug. You may know it, uh, sometimes you may know it as 21. Uh, It's the game in which you're trying to get someone to say the number 21. Now, it's not a game of trickery. Uh, there is rules to it. The rules are that one person starts and they can only increment the number. You start at zero and you can only increment the number by up to three. So the first person might say one, two, and then the next person might say three, four, five. Uh, Do you want to have a quick game right now? Okay, um, I'm going to warn you. Because I'm a maths teacher, I'm quite familiar with this game. Yes, so am I. How about you start, Alaric? <laughs> right, okay. Uh, one. Two, three, four. <laughs> Five, six. Seven, eight. Nine, ten, eleven. Twelve. Thirteen, fourteen. Fifteen, sixteen. Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Twenty. Twenty-one. Ta-da! So, you can <laughs> see there, from the resignation in Alaric's voice, that there is a trick to this in a one-on-one game. And uh, that trick is that you should find the opportunity to say a multiple of four at any possibility. Um, And the moment that you've said a multiple of four, your opponent is doomed and you'll be saying multiples of four all the way to the end. Yep. If you're going first and your your opponent knows this, you have lost. (laughs) So, what if there's three people playing? This is my, this is what I've never thought about this before and I want to start thinking about it. Is there collusion that you can do? Um, how does this work? Yeah, can you aim to take out the best player? I, my experience with more than the two-person version mostly comes from drinking games. Likewise. Uh, where usually the person that says 21 is the person that has to drink, but then there's extra rules put onto the top. I don't know. Should we, uh, it's going to be hard for us to have a, a game of this because we've only got two of us. Sure, but we can put it around the concept of this multiple of four that's a good way to it's a good way to think about it so let's say that there is third person at the table so alice bob and carol alice bob and carol um poor old carol is going to get teamed up on because she's been annoying all night and alice and bob just you know want to make her lose at the game presumably because carol knows the optimum strategy and has been beating them in one-on-one games all evening (laughs) So, I think working backwards is going to be the easiest way into this. We want Bob to say 20. We do want Bob to say 20. So, Alice wants to get it so that Bob can say 20. Now, Bob can say 20 if he says either just 20, or if he says 1920, or if he says 18, 19, 20. Right. So, Alice wants to end up on 17, 18, or 19. And just to clear things up, the turn order goes Alice, Bob, Cal. Yeah. Yeah. So let's imagine that 
Alice starts. Yep. This is so. What I've worked out so far is that if she says one, two, three, that's that's fine, and Bob okay. can say four. Yep. And then here's here's the trouble. Uh, at that point, Carol can say five, six, seven. Yep. And then Alice is the one who says. I don't think the multiple of four thing matters in this. Okay. Because you've got two people's worth um, to budget. Right. Two people's worth, they can say anywhere between two and six numbers. So maybe it's a it's a multiple of five to make room for that. Hmm. I'm thinking five seems unlikely. Um, so, 21. In the, in the normal game... Uh, it's it's factors of 20 that we care about. Fours and fives are factors of 20 in this game. Yes. Because you want... Yeah. Um, we're still looking for factors of 20. Yeah. Um, five gives us more room to go than four. So let's aim to do it as multiples of five. Yeah. Um, so Carol can say one, two, or three. So it feels like Alice and Bob are looking to make it Hmm. The problem is Alice and Bob are going first. Well, they don't have to. Um, Should we team up on Alice instead? Well, here's, 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 here's something that I think I have intuited. Yep. Um, whatever Carol says, Alice and Bob can always make things add up to uh, a multiple of five by the time it gets to Bob's. Yep. Provided that they've landed on a multiple of five first. Yep. If Carol starts... And says one, two, three. Yep. Then Alice can say four and Bob can say five. Yes, that works. If Alice starts, then Alice can say one, two, three and Bob can say four, five. Yep. And then whatever Carol says, because zero is also a multiple of five, Carol's doomed. Yes. So on Carol and Alice starting, Carol has to drink. Okay. Here's the, do- the tricky one is Bob starting. Right. So is there a way for Alice and Bob to recover from Bob starting? Uh, I think I've got it. Go ahead. So, uh, Bob can say a number to reduce the whole problem. It's like we, whatever Bob says, we're reducing it from 21 into whatever. 21 was nice because one less than it was a number with lots of factors. If Bob says two, then the whole game now with Carol starting is a game of 19. 19 is one more than a number of lots of factors. Because one fewer than 19 is 18, which has a factor of 6. Okay. So, now whatever Carol says, Alice and Bob are going to make it up to a total of 6. Interesting. Uh, Like, this is just one solution. There are lots of solutions. Yeah, for Bob starting. And presumably, there are ways for Carol to blunder into some ways in which... Alice and Bob can get back to multiples of fives. Yep. The problem would be is if, if Bob said a number which got you down to one more than a prime number. So if he said one, which means Carol is starting the game but on 20, uh, now that's one more than the number 19, which doesn't have the nice factors for Alice and Bob to do the strategy on. I see, yeah. So what, is, so what, are, the, what are the... Functionally... What are some bad starts by Bob, and how can Carol 
capitalise on those bad starts. So the bad start from Bob seems to be saying one, because it starts Carol off on the number 20. Yeah. So then Carol, to capitalise on that, should probably say two, three, four. I don't think Carol can win whatever, because Alice and Bob have between them such a range to get it into something on the main pattern. Yeah. Carol always wants to be saying one more than a prime number. Oh, no, she wants it to come to her with one more than a prime number. Um, but she can't do that. Because the prime numbers, there just aren't that many below her. And Alice and Bob can say anywhere between two and six. So it's just not going to happen. Right, right. So Carol is doomed as long as Alice and Bob's teamwork uh, stays yep. intact and that there's no betrayal. Yes. Are there any good betrayal strategies? <laughs> Each player is presumably just trying to maximise, uh, minimise the number of times they have to um, drink. Yes. Or oh, yeah. 21. Uh, they don't particularly care which of the other people it is. That's true. I think psychology gets involved here because if you betray, you'll suddenly get it. Uh, the other two might start ganging up on you in future games. Yeah, does this quickly become a... Um... A prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. Yep. And also, it gets pretty chaotic as well. Yep. At the moment one person betrays, then then all structure kind of goes out the window. Yep. And I wonder if the structured approach to things, which is to say multiples of five or multiples of six or whatever, um, is vulnerable to attack, or whether yep. it's strong and robust... Or strong and fragile? I think it's all fragile. I think two people always have enough uh, leeway to, if they want to, force the other one to um, to lose, no matter what point in the game. Yeah, I guess a fun game would probably be a game of 66 or something like that. Or, you know, something quite long, <laughs> where there's lots of space for uh, for three people yep. to, to twist and turn and, and start yep, to bargain with each other. Um, can I tell you a related problem? Yes, go ahead. So, trules, as in uh, the free version of jewels, say with pistols. Uh, the th- uh, the, th- the three-person three person duel. Yes. Okay. So, imagine a Mexican standoff. Yes. You've got some people with pistols. Um, I-, I came across this in a Martin Gardner book. Let's say you've got one person, uh, let's go Alice again, is a really good shot. Uh, they will always hit their target. They've got 100% shot. Okay. Let's say uh, another person... The, the particular numbers don't matter, but let's say they have a, a 50% chance. That would be Bob. Half the time, he'll hit his target. And half the time, he hits nobody. So he doesn't miss and hit the other person. No. Okay. Um, and let's say Carol is a bit rubbish. She's got a 10% chance of hitting. Okay. Uh, again, the numbers don't matter. Um... You, you make them be whatever you want. Uh, the game is this. They're arranged in a triangle. They've got as many bullets as they want. And uh, starting with one of them at random, it's going to be their turn, and they're going to choose to um, take a shot at one of the other two people. If they like, they can uh, choose to miss in- instead. They can fire their gun up into the air. Okay. Uh, then it goes one, uh, one way around the triangle. Uh, again, that's going to be picked at random, either clockwise or anticlockwise. And the next person has their chance. 
and then the next person has their chance, and it keeps going round until only one person is alive. Okay. What's a good strategy for people? Um, Captain 100%, Alice, yep. should just take people out. Yes. The others, however, if they try and take, shoot somebody and they yep. miss, then that somebody's probably going to start shooting back at them. Yeah. So what is a good strategy? So imagine you're a 10%er. You kind of want the other two to take each other out. And they're not going to be aiming for you. Because why would they? They've got a bigger threat. Do they know that... You know everybody knows everybody else's percentages. Yeah, perfect perfect information. Okay. Um, so as Carol, you should probably just fire it into the air. Because if you do aim for uh, either of the others, if you do manage to actually hit them, then the other one's just going to take you out. Okay. Because it's going to be their turn first. Um, so that person should definitely just fire into the air. 50%er, the, the medium shot, should be trying to take out their main competition. Because their main competition, the 100%er, is going to um, fire at them. Yeah. So they should be definitely aiming for the best one. And um, the best one should be aiming for the medium one. But if you're Carol, yep. and everybody's still alive, yep. there's not much difference between person... Oh, no, actually, there is. I was about to say there's not much difference between, between the person who misses 50% of the time and the person who chooses the other person 50% of the time. Yep. Because, you know, it all means you don't take that negative infinite game theory score. In the article I read, I, I can't remember what the actual percentages were, uh, the probabilities. You can make them be whatever you want. But the general thing works out that the person with the highest success rate of living is the person with the medium ability at shooting. You know what? I played a, a lot of games of Super Smash Brothers on the GameCube, and that seems about correct. <laughs> <laughs> I like that analogy. The best player always gets ganged up on, and the worst player is too bad to win. Yep. <laughs> so, so the people in the middle always uh, always seem to get it. Interesting. Cool. Cool. Yep. So, does so is the same true in 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 three man humbug? Do you think? I I suspect so. You yeah. gang up on the best person, but I mean, what constitutes the best person well, at humbug? That's it. Like fluency with all the different use cases of. Yeah, how many different states of the game are there? Sixty. So. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's all the history as well, which probably makes which multiplies that out to a large number. I suspect what would happen if we were playing with other people is we would get taken out as people who make podcasts about this kind of thing. That's true. Yeah. Elimination humbug. Seven man elimination humbug. <laughs> seems quite interesting. Should we move on? Let's move on. Do you have a problem for us? Uh, yes, I do. L- let's do a wordy one first. Okay. Uh, so... I've been going to a philosophy group, which meets every two months, and I went to the one two months ago, and at the end they said, oh, what should we do next time? And someone suggested paradoxes, and I piped up that, oh, I've got a standard lesson I do with my further mathematicians about paradoxes, and they asked if I wanted to run it. Okay. Uh, so I did. Uh, I ran an evening session about paradoxes for about three hours. Nice. And so they're kind of all fresh on my mind. Were they philosophical paradoxes like this sentence is a lie and instructing the robot to disobey instructions or whatever uh, yeah it's that kind of thing okay. I, I did a mix 
it was interesting uh, speaking to a crowd which was non-mathematical but was more philosophical. So I was trying to err uh, on the side of not heavy maths. Because if they can if they can do like actual logic, yeah, then uh, yeah, then 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 they can process things really quickly. There's nothing that winds me up more than incorrect logic, like <laughs> when people imply that. Uh, okay, so this is something that, that I saw on Twitter yesterday, and I'm going to completely analogize it because uh, the the actual topic was quite incendiary. But um, essentially, <laughs> one person tweeted and said, "I'm sorry, but just because you have two legs." Uh, that like doesn't mean you're a human, um, and by that there's an implicit automatically. It doesn't automatically mean you're a human. Yeah. Um, and then a bunch of people replied to them saying, "No, no, look at me. I've got two legs and I'm a human." <laughs> and uh, the logic there is that they, they they'd kind of got the sentence wrong yep. in their head, and they said that human implies two legs rather than two legs implies human because of course there's birds that have two legs and they're not human. Yep. So um, I'd imagine that your group at the uh, at the philosophy group can instantly process just because you have two <laughs> legs doesn't mean you're human and know not to uh, tweet replies to them showing off all their two legs that they've got. I, I don't think that implication works either way. Either way. Yeah. Two legs doesn't imply human and human doesn't imply two legs. Well, exactly. But for some reason, people, if someone says just because you're human doesn't, uh, sorry, just because you've got two legs doesn't mean you're, doesn't mean you're human. There's nothing in that statement that means that you should suddenly start showing off your two legs and looking at looking at how human you are at indignation at what the person had said. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so your philosophy group can probably process problems like that pretty well. So uh, how did that? I can't let this. I can't let this. Let your statement survive without saying this. You've got an above average number of legs. This is true. <laughs> I quite like that statement. Yeah. Right, sorry. Philosophy group. Um, so I thought I'd talk about Newcomb's paradox. Are you familiar with it? Newcomb. Hmm. No. Right. Okay. Uh, this is one that's done in several different forms, and sometimes it has God in it, but I'm just going to take God out of it. There's all sorts of arguments that can be... Uh, it's, got, it's interesting enough without God can in it. Can you replace God with Superman? Uh, I'm going to replace it with a, a superintelligent AI. Brilliant. Okay. There are two boxes, and let's say there's a big box and a small box. The small box contains a thousand pounds in it. Uh, the big box either contains zero pounds or a million pounds. Now, the AI is going to um, be filling that big box with either zero or a million pounds, depending on what it thinks you will do. You are going to walk into the room with these two boxes, and you have two choices. You can either take the big box, just the big box, and if the computer thinks you're going to do that, it will have put a million pounds in the big box. It's on your side. Uh, well, partially. Your other option is you can take both boxes, so you can take the big box plus this extra small box, but if the computer thinks you're going to do that, it's going to punish your greed by only putting zero pounds in the big box. Now, it's going to fill up these boxes a week ahead of time. And let's say it's a good enough predictor of human behaviour that the last thousand people that have done it, it has predicted correctly whether they take just the big box or whether they take both boxes. So let's say of those thousand people, some people picked just one box, the big box, and were happy with their million pounds. Uh, some people picked both boxes, and all of them ended up with just a thousand pounds because the big box was empty. 
but it's crucial that this is all set up beforehand based on what the computer thinks you're going to do. Okay. What do you do? Well, so my natural intuition before you explained the computer's shiftiness was <laughs> to take the small box. I know about expectation values, and because I'm a contrarian, I yeah. am fully aware that there's a good chance of getting zero. It's like the old push the button and a million people die or you die thing. Yep. It's uh, sometimes expectation values aren't the best way to go. So the 50-50 chance in the box doesn't mean you're on average getting £500,000. No. It means you're getting no. zero or a million. Yeah. I'd rather have something than nothing. So my natural intuition is to go for the, the small box. But I'm, a, I'm aware that this isn't like a normal thing. This is something that mathematicians do. The, the, the small box isn't an option. You can either just take the big box or you can take both boxes. Right. So, so the big box is the one that either has zero or a million in it. Okay. And do I know what the AI is going to, like how it generally acts ahead of time? Uh, you know that if it thinks you're going to take both boxes, there's going to be zero pounds in the big box. And if it thinks that you're going to take just the big box, it's going to put a million pounds in there. Uh, this AI is pretty rude, eh? Um, <laughs> interesting. What's the question? Well, what do you take? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, whichever position you take, I'm going to argue the opposite. Okay. Well, so when am I making... So I'm, I'm making the decision in the room. Yep. And we're assuming that my decision in the room is... Well, we're not, we can't assume that my decision in the room is something similar to my deci decision a week ago. And you can't yeah. fool the AI. Well, no. So... Or at least it hasn't been fooled by the last thousand people. So... Probably just... Go for the big box. Okay. It just and seems less in all likelihood, you're going to get a million pounds. Hooray! Hooray! Okay. Uh, here's a, a thought experiment with it. Let's say that I'm standing behind the boxes, and I want you to win. And let's say the back of the boxes uh, are glass, and so I can see inside them. If I can see zero pounds in the big box, what would I urge you to do? Take both. Yeah. If I could say, see a million pounds in the big box, what would I urge you to do? Uh, take both. Yeah. Because there's money in the small box as well. <laughs> and you'd Just probably get issue. that money for helping me out. <laughs> so, th this is the weird loop in this. Um, while statistically, everyone that's picked both boxes has ended up with just their thousand pounds, and everyone that just picked one box ended up with a million pounds, it still feels like no matter what's in the box, you should take both, because you get a thousand pounds more than you would have done. Right. Yeah. Unless you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but then the AI knows you've thought about it. Yeah. Oh, the AI is trying to give you money. It's trying to punish greed. It's a yeah. it's a morality AI, so it's not it's not trying it's not the banker from Deal or No Deal. It's not trying to minimise the amount of money it gives out. Yep. Because if that was the case, then that's it. You just take the small. <laughs> well, you take both boxes because you know the small box is guaranteed something. Yep. But because the AI is trying to help you out, or is trying to, it's it's like the mirror of Erised. Then, uh, <laughs> oh, interesting. 
my brain hasn't fully wrapped itself around this. Normally when there's some kind of problem, there's this nice little feeling of completion in my head, but I'm not... I haven't I haven't got to the end of this, and I don't know where the gap is. Uh, I, I don't... I don't think anyone's really got to the end of it. It's a, it's a proper paradox. I think there's a free will issue in this. Like, if it, if it knows perfectly what you're going to do, um, how can you possibly have free will? It's like you're always going to take the million pounds or you're always going to take them both boxes. Yeah. Is there a way to do it with computers where you do run a million games like they do with the Prisoner's Dilemma stuff? I'm not sure how you'd do it. No, me neither. We'll just have to wait until we have this AI and then we can run it through a lot of times. Can I read you a quote from the uh, 1969 article which introduced this? Go ahead. Uh, so the philosopher's called Nozick. Nozick, yep. Oh, are you familiar? I, I wasn't. Okay. Nozick noted that to almost everyone, it is perfectly clear and obvious what should be done. The difficulty is that these people seem to divide almost evenly on the problem, with large numbers thinking that the opposing half is just being silly. <laughs> yeah, it's like the uh, it's it's like that dress that was different colours. Yep. Yeah. Or the uh, plane on a treadmill. Or the plane on a treadmill problem. Or the bird flying in the lorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're going to cover some of these uh, at some point oh, in I'm the sure. future. I'm sure that that, that bird in a lorry is going to going to come to a head. I, I've almost written that into an article on my website so many times, <laughs> uh, but I just find it infuriating. <laughs> Cool. Right, let's go for another question. Yep. What have you got? Alright, as with a lot of things, a lot of problems that I have, it's based around me looking around my house. Okay. And there's and there's something in the house. So I have a jar of coins. Uh, I keep mine familiar. in a jar and not in tall towers on a on the side <laughs> of my bedroom, unlike some people. Um, uh, my bedroom is currently covered in 50p's as one of the towers of 50s collapsed <laughs> <laughs> may I recommend jars um, <laughs> and so I was wondering for a fixed size of coin yep. of all the same diameter so let's say it's all something round let's say it's all 10p's yep. uh, what's, what's uh, circular in America if we have American listeners I think all the coins are circular. I think they're all circular. Okay. But Americans don't use coins. Well done to you on your circular coins. For (laughs) a fixed size of coin, but a variable size of jar, is fitting as many coins into this jar as possible always going to be just a repeated act of fitting circles onto a plane? Is it just a repeated 2D problem? Or are there gains to be had tucking coins around the side and so on? Okay, Alex, straight away I'm going to state that we're not going to be able to come up with a, uh, a complete solution to this one. No, I don't think we are either, but I think it's interesting <laughs> to think about. Uh, these sort of packing problems are notoriously hard. Um, like, fitting circles into a um, square, if you've got a circles with diameter 1 and you've got squares with... Um, like integer sight lamps. For small integers, you just place them as a grid. For instance, if it's a one by one box, you just place one in. If it's a two by two box, you place four in, arranged like a square. I think it's about eight or nine uh, as an integer length. 
where suddenly the best solution isn't putting them in a grid like that. It's to shift but them over into a little hexagon type thing. I think it's an irregular thing. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that my coin jar is also like circular or some kind of weird kind of hexagon thing yep. means that this just becomes a nightmare. Yep. Unless your jar is exactly the same diameter as one of the coins, in which case I have a solution to you. It's, it's not. <laughs> but I think that there's some solutions for this. Yeah. Where if the coins in the jar line up correctly, you can definitely tuck some down the side. Yes. But then if you can tuck them down the side, maybe you should just be stacking them, all of them vertically in the first place. Yeah. Ah, interesting. So this has all sorts of use cases in, in industry and so on. Um, what Amazon does in their warehouses is, is they don't stack similar things together. They stack things in groups so that their diameters add up to the diameter of their shelves. So yep. uh, if you have a look at the warehouses, it's got like baked beans next to a book, which is next to a flower vase and it's just next to a model bridge, just because those things all added together. Uh, that is... I'm picturing Tetris, as you say this. Yeah. Just uh, nice tessellating things. But it's fascinating, and they must put so much computational power towards this, which is presumably is where they're, why they started doing Amazon Web Services, where they sold their excess computational power because they were buying so much of it to process this kind of thing and also to process their very heavy website. Uh, uh, one of my friends, in fact, you've met her, Lily, designs underwear, and her packaging... Uh, I'm not sure if this was the final project or not, but her packaging was going to be uh, tetrahedrons, so triangle-based pyramids. Oh, yeah. And she was thinking about how to uh, pack hundreds of tetrahedra together. Ah, yeah. Now, isn't this interesting? If my intuition serves me correct or my memory, isn't the answer to tetrahedrons just to throw them in randomly? (laughs) Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I remember trying to work on the problem and it felt like if you got all of the points uh, meeting at a central point, you could make almost a sphere out of these tetrahedra. Yeah, that's true. And then, then it becomes a sphere, a sphere packing problem. <laughs> um, imagining it a bit like a, an icosahedron, so a D20 yeah. with uh, the 20 sides out. In fact... It doesn't work out that neatly. Nothing's regular about this problem. Yeah. Um, and they just don't tessellate. Which is why I have some weird thing in the back of my head that says you just put them in a, and you just shake it. And if they're, if they're oriented randomly, that gets incredibly close to the maximum packing. I, I imagine that's true. I know off the top of my head that uh, sphere packing, if you just put them in randomly, is just under 70%. Of spaces filled, right, and that's really close to the maximum. So things are good at fitting themselves in if you just put them into a box and shake them. Because you don't when you're when you're putting cereal in a box, you don't you know it doesn't come in a grid. They don't lie in cereal. They don't pack it in to reduce cardboard costs. They yep. just they throw the cereal in. But maybe that's a that's a cost uh, cost benefit analysis there. Can I tell you a related thing, which is one of my most frustrating things in maps? Is it to do with higher dimensional spheres? No. Okay. Then you (laughs) you can still tell me, but I'm going to be a little more disappointed than I was. (laughs) Imagine a tetrahedra. Okay. Are you picturing it? I am. Yeah, cool. Imagine another one where uh, you've glued on one of the sides. 
So uh, two of their faces are, are glued together. Yeah. And then glue on another one so that you're making them into a kind of a... We're going around a ring with them. Yeah. And then you can fit another one in. And then you can fit another one in. At that point, they're really close to uh, her forming a ring. But there's a tiny sliver of uh, space left. There is. I, it, too, have it, picked up multiple four-sided dice at a D&D session and tried to do this. And yeah. got angry. <laughs> that this is what reality is. It, it's so close to working that... It, it look until you put them physically together. It looks like they'd work. When I start my virtual world and I live life as a geometric shape in the metaverse, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that the uh, the the geometry metric in that world makes it so that that's true, and that they do touch each other. But okay. the choice that we have to make is: do we want them? Do we want to put five in a ring, or do we want to put six in a ring? Six sounds nicer, doesn't I it? I think six does sound nicer. Because five, then, <laughs> then you, then you get the second most annoying thing in maths, which is that pentagons don't tessellate. But the nice thing about that is that pentagons do tessellate if you add a couple of hexagons in, which just goes to show how hexagon is objectively the best shape and very helpful <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> so, um, you're familiar with the platonic solids? I am. Yeah. So the five regular-faced polyhedra. One of them is the 12-sided dodecahedra, dodecahedron. Uh, it's got 12 pentagons on it. Yep. You can extend it by adding in hexagons. So the classic black and white football has exactly 12 pentagons still, but it has 20 hexagons. Uh, a classic bo- golf ball still has exactly 12 hexagons, huh. but has, like, I don't know, 190-odd hexagons and it's always true so if you're trying to make a a regular polyhedra with pentagons and hexagons you always have exactly 12 pentagons wow Hmm. because 12 times 72 is something interesting uh you can prove it using uh euler's polyhedra formula so the one that talks about uh number of edges number of faces and number of oh that um, one interesting i didn't know that worked in 3d it, it's a uh, it's a golden formula that you can use all over the place. Oh, cool. Uh, I, I put a proof of this on my website. It was one of my early articles. Links in the show notes. Links in the show notes. Cool. Let's uh, round this off with uh, one more from you. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got a problem where I've done a little, little bit of thinking about it, but um, I thought if I thought about it too much more, I'd solve it, and so I stopped. I know that feeling. So, in preparing things for the podcast, it's meant that I've I've had to stop things too early. I, I do a lot of maths problems throughout my week, and keeping some of them back is a, a strange feeling. <laughs> the things that we do for you, listener. We give ourselves mental anguish for days, just so we can produce a high-quality podcast that everyone's going to listen to. Hit me with this problem. Okay, so it's from the MIT paper, which is the Oxford entry paper. I haven't seen it myself, but students were talking about it when they finished it. You've got ten students in a room, or ten children, and they're arranged in a circle. And let's say, uh, let's number them. Number one, number two, number three, all the way up to number ten. Logical. Sitting around in the circle. You give a suite to the first child. Then you move on two children, so you give a suite to the third child. 
Then you move on three children, so you give a sweet to the sixth child. Then you move on four children, so you give a sweet to the tenth child. Then you move on five children, so you give a sweet to the fifth child. Notice you're going around the circle again at this point. Yeah. If you continue forever, who gets the most sweets? Does anyone get no sweets? Is there any sort of pattern going on here? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so it's triangular numbers modulo 10. Lovely, yep. Is the thing that we're trying to solve. Because it keeps going and going and going. And I think a lot about triangular numbers because when I'm staring at the Piccadilly line map, you know, the the line map you get in London where if, if you're, if you're for those of you who haven't been to London, if you're on the, the London subway, which is called the Underground, inside the train there's this map that's a line and it shows you all the stations. And in the, on the, in the Piccadilly line, there is just the right number of stations where triangular numbers become interesting if you're trying to think about uh, whether there's a multiple of five number of stations. So, triangular numbers, relatively familiar. Um, what I can tell you about them is that you basically, you barely ever get zero at the end of one, from what I can tell. Um, okay. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> that's just... Uh, <laughs> I'd say ten. Ten is, zero yeah, at the end of it. that's like the one example, from what I can tell. I, I know my triangular numbers well up to twelve, because of the twelve days of Christmas. Yeah. So somebody misses out. There's a lot of just like one past five that seems to go on. There's also pairs of fifteen. Um, these things add up together. Around the around the fifth, there's one and nine, two and eight, and so on. And yep. you can sort of join things together that way. These are just triangular number of facts at this point. I'm not really applying them to the problem. <laughs> yeah, we're always delving into numerology at this point. So, what have you thought about this so far? Okay. Um, so we only care about the last digit of these things because we're modulo 10 here. Yeah. Um, so we can chuck away a lot of the data and it feels like when we're adding on the numbers, so add one, add two, add three, again, we only care about the last digit of that. So it's a bit like the adding numbers on repeats every 10. Yeah. Um, so skipping 11 is the same as skipping one. Right. It feels like we've got two strings of numbers here we've got how much we're adding on and what the running total is so far both of those things repeat every 10 or do they well one of them repeats every 10 the other one doesn't seem to repeat every 10 but it feels like there's only a hundred possible scenarios that you could be until you get some sort of loop because if at any point you have the same last digit in both columns you're going to then be exactly the same as you were earlier on in the problem. It's not yeah. going to break. And because there's only 100 combinations, because there's 10 digits that it could be in one column and 10 digits that it could be in the other, then it, it must be finite. Like It can't evade pattern forever. So it's just finding where the pattern happens. So, question for you. Yep. What are the 10th and 11th triangular numbers? Uh, the 10th is... 55. Right. So 66 is the next one. 55, 66. So that's just going forward by one. So if it does that at the 10th, 
Yeah. And it's kind of like you've just rotated the children by five at that point. Yeah. So it feels like if we did that again. So there's going to be twofold rotational symmetry in the problem. Yep. So it feels like after 20, we're back where we started. Yeah. So all you have to consider is the first 20. Yep. Should we just check that uh, it does loop at that point? Uh, so the half n n minus one or half n n plus one? Uh, n n plus one all over two. Okay. So the twentieth triangular number is twenty times twenty one divided by two, yep. which is ten times twenty one, which is two hundred and ten. Okay. Yep. And the twenty first triangular number is two hundred and ten plus twenty one. Yep. Which is so two three one. Two hundred thirty one. So at the twenty, at twenty, you're back to you're back to yes. your first child again. Yeah, it ends in a one, and you've just added something ending in a one, so it's just the same as the uh, the original problem. So whatever pattern there is, it's going to have twofold rotational symmetry. So what we need to do is just enumerate the first twenty, and see if any child is missed out. Right. Are any missed out? Can you think of any triangular number that ends in three that's not three? Uh, yep, the one after two hundred and thirty-one. <laughs> okay, because so it repeats. Three doesn't get left out. Yep, I, I think at this point we just need a, a list of triangle numbers. Should I? I could work them out. I've got about half of them written down already. But let's uh, bring up a website. Right, okay, I've got the final results here. Okay, what did you find? Okay, so there are four numbers which have uh, four occurrences in the 20, which are 0, 1, 5, and 6, and there are two numbers that appear twice each, 3 and 8. So four numbers never occur, number 2, number 4, number 7, and number 9. There's a pattern to it, it's like, if uh, going along from 0 to 9, the uh, frequency is we've got 4, 4, 0... Two, zero, four, four, zero, two, zero. Four, four, zero, two, zero, four, four, zero, two, zero. So we've got kind of uh, two clumps, which are in the, the first five and the later five, because the whole problem has twofold symmetry. So this is still symmetrical. Zero to four is identical to five to nine. Yeah. But it seems that almost luck of the draw which ones were going to get it and which ones didn't before the whole pattern repeated. Yeah, interesting. I would be interested in patterns where there are more than ten uh, items in the ring. Yeah. Yeah, if we played around with the base of the the number system. Or if even if it was in, like, some kind of spiral or something. Um, this is quite interesting. Quite similar to what people do with primes to see, look to see if there's a pattern. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's something clever you could do to prove that no triangle... Well, I mean, we have proved that no triangle number ends in a four, say. No triangular but, number ends in a four. Or a two, or a seven, or a nine. Or a two, or a seven, or a nine. That's just fascinating. <laughs> It'd be nice if we had some sort of intuitive answer, rather than our kind of enumeration of them. Yeah. But we don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
so that's it for this week uh, hope you enjoyed it uh, we're just going to go back over the problems and work out how well we got to the bottom of it so the first problem we talked about was three man humbug Alaric how did we do do you think I, I think we had a conclusive strategy no matter where the person you're trying to pick on is so Bob starting was the hardest one but we, we had a strategy and I think there were plenty of strategies I, I, I think we've solved that one out of 10 how would you say is this a uh, uniform distribution or a normal distribution? This is a be a human being distribution. I, I, I disagree. Pe- humans always do it with like lots of uh, tens and Lots of ones. sixes and sevens and so on. Um, I, I'm going to aim over the course of odds and evenings to make a uniform distribution. <laughs> okay, well, why don't you make your first <laughs> strike at this? Uh, seven. Seven? Yeah, seven out of ten. Hmm in that I'm sure there's variations of it that we could think about for four-man humbug and starting with lots of different numbers and that kind of thing. But I'm happy for the, the brief that we had that we've solved it. Right. For the brief that we had, I'm going to give us an eight because <laughs> we pretty conclusively got to the end. But near the end of it, I think we were just kind of saying, yeah, it's obvious there's a solution. And we didn't actually talk through the yep. actual solution. We just said, oh, it's, it's, it, it is clear at this point. That, with yep. collusion but I like that we talked about the um, possibilities of, of betrayal at that point and then what that means for long term games presumably there's some kind of multi-man humbug tournaments out there somewhere yep okay okay number two uh, was Newcomb's Paradox I think that that one well it was pretty good because I just randomly gave the correct answer so clearly I'd solved it uh, a million times over in my head but towards the end we were just saying that we're not anywhere near close wrapping our heads around it fully I, I'm not sure there is a correct answer to it yeah or if there is it's infinitely recursive yep. it's along some long moral geometric series uh, so I'm, I'm going to slap a 2 on this I don't think oh. that was very satisfying at all oh I was going to go for 8 Oh. Why is the one where you say no one understands this an eight, and the one where we got a pretty good answer a seven? Uh, I'm happy that if there is no answer to be had there, if the greatest minds couldn't do it, then uh, two 20-somethings fiddling about with maths on the weekend get to the same answer as them, which is no answer. That's fine. So you're satisfied. This is a satisfaction score, by the way, and not a a score of how well we solved it. I'm deeply (laughs) unsatisfied by this unsolved problem. Uh, so I'm going to give us a two. Uh, the next one was pennies in a jar, uh, where we okay, ta- yeah. talked about putting pennies in the jar. How how well do you think we did? Um, one. Yeah, it was more of just a conversation, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. One or two. We related it to some related things, but uh, no, it's way too hard. Mm-hmm. And triangular children. I think we did a good job. I yep. think I think we pretty much uh, knocked it out of the park on that one. Um, so it'd be nice to explore different number bases. Yes, we d- unfortunately we did not generalise for all different number cases. It would also be nice to have an intuitive answer as to why, say, no triangle number ends in a 2, rather than just saying, well, I mean, we've proven it, but we haven't got a reason why. Right. That's, a, that's a bit unsatisfying. So as a physicist, I'm happy that this is a phenomenological problem. And that there is a phenomenon where it goes four four zero two zero, and I don't have to understand why. So, I'm gonna give us a nine. Right. Okay. I'm going for six. 
because you deeply want to know yeah. why it is. So there's, there's more to be done there. I think it seems doable. This is just the, yep. this is just the, the difference between uh, our two fields is that I'm happy to let nature be nature and and you're unhappy with an unsolved problem. <laughs> so that's it for this episode. Uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Uh, you can find us online with a Twitter that we've made ourselves for this show at at odds and evenings o d d s a n d evenings. You can also find us individually. I'm on Twitter at SpeakMouthWords, and uh, Alaric is not on Twitter. Where are you? Um, I've got a website, alaricstephen.com. With a so, P-H. Yeah, A-L-A-R-I-C, stephen.com. Stepping on hens. We'll see you, <laughs> we'll see you next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.